0: this is michael you're listening to models of masters and i'm so grateful you're here i'm breaking down personal stories learned wisdom and pieces of insight i hope can help you along your journey head over to my website michaelbecker.org for much more and with that let's get right into the show Today's conversation is with a serial entrepreneur and someone who has been on the forefront of the internet revolution and the tech entrepreneurship scene for his entire career, Charles Fry. He is the founder and CEO of his own company, Code Exitos, which is a public benefit company that provides nearshore software developers to US-based software companies. Charles is a tech entrepreneur in every sense of the word. He is a software and services veteran with Amazing experience in combining vision and execution to create real business value with his team and with the entrepreneurs that he works with. And in our conversation, you know, we really kind of touch on uh, several different topics related to all of this. We talk about the third wave of the internet, Web3 its practical usability and application and how to build sort of on top of that foundation of code and software for either new or experienced entrepreneurs. Uh, We talk about the tech explosion. We also talk about Charles' experience in building the companies he has and what his current focus is with Code Exitos. And how he views outsourcing and working with a geographically distributed team. You're going to find a ton of value in this episode if these topics resonate with you and if technology and entrepreneurship is something that you are passionate about. So without further ado, we're going to get right into the conversation. Here is Charles Fry. So I know your, your focus right now is, is really on, well, I'll let you kind of get into it, but Code Exitos is your, your primary uh, company. Just talk a little bit about the background of that and, and kind of how it came about for you.
1: Yeah, well, hey, Michael, uh, it's great to be here and thanks for asking. So Code Exitos is a product development studio and specifically we work with entrepreneurs and innovators who need to build a product, a digital product, and get it to the market. And so uh, we have everything from visual designers, uh, product designers, industrial designers on the team. We have a lot of software engineers, some hardware engineers, uh, all of the skill sets that you need if you're gonna build and launch a product. How we got to here uh, sort of involves my entire life, which is being a tech entrepreneur. And uh, I guess those are the two things I love to do for work is technology and then entrepreneurship. Yeah. So at this stage of my life, I thought, well, you know what? I'll here's a here's an idea. I'll build a company that helps other entrepreneurs build their product because I've been through that cycle a few times myself. And so that's how Code Exitos got started. And uh, you know, five years into it, we're having a blast. We've got a great team. Um, we're a we're a certified B Corp, so we have a public benefit behind our company, uh, which was important to me right from the beginning, performing the idea. And so we try to help entrepreneurs and corporate innovators, because big companies, Fortune 100, Fortune 1000 companies, they do a lot of product development as well, Uh, but they sort of style themselves as innovators. It's a little different than being an entrepreneur, as you know, know, you're trying to make a living at it. Um, But we help those two groups uh, build and launch products and it's a blast. And while we do it, we, we like to make the world a little better place as we go.
0: I do have a couple of questions yeah. off, of, off of the back of that. Um, the first that I want to I get to with you is this idea of value-based entrepreneurship or cause-based um, business. And you mentioned that being a B Corp is something mm-hmm. that's important to you. Um, I think that being value driven is more than a trend. it's almost a necessity for scale scale any companies that, that want to scale and attract talent that you know young millennials and, and Gen Z they want to be aligned with something that means something in the world and that is doing good. Um, why is that something that is important to you? Uh, well
1: I'm not a millennial or a Gen Z uh I think I'm the tail end of the boomer so just for your audience to know I'm uh I'm 59 so I've been at this for a long time yeah um I think I I think it's just the right thing to do frankly yeah. I mean the um, capitalism at least in the western world where we live in America in the Americas where we work um capitalism's the economic engine that drives things and you can't you can't change the world without money. I mean, right. Yeah. Money becomes a tool and you can either choose to use it effectively, or you can just ignore the fact that you have the advantage of having that tool at your disposal. And then you're just kind of sleepwalking through things in, in my mind. And so you mentioned something very interesting in your question though, about being a cause-based company. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that Codexitos is a cause-based company. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that we're not trying to stop something or start something or, you know, make a specific outcome, but we're very, um, and our, some of our clients don't care about our public mission. Uh, and that's okay. They don't have to, but, but it doesn't hurt. Right. And yeah. for us, you're absolutely right. For our, our team, and we have about 125 people in the company and they're predominantly young under 35. And, uh, yeah, it matters a lot to them. Yeah. and I'm I'm happy to see that energy and uh, they're doing things I could never have done by myself or even thought of by myself. And so that's awesome. So wind them up and let them go.
0: I want to ask you as well about kind of your your beginnings and what got you started in tech, because I don't have the perspective um, in the way that you would of having experienced the dot com boom and the, the Internet boom um as as a working you know entrepreneur professional in it i was i was not uh, old enough yet to, to really be in the industry <laughs> so how did you get started um it's a great
1: question and it's changed a lot it's really changed a lot um so but for anybody that's watching the video version of this this dollar bill back here behind me is is really the first dollar i made in a in a real company uh, and if you look on the back, it's from 1986. It's so a long time ago. Um, so I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a farm in Ohio. And the funny thing about farmers is they're, they're all independent businessmen. They're, they're entrepreneurs, right? Uh, you've got work to do. You're self-motivated. You have to get things going. So I just sort of grew up. My dad's a great entrepreneur. He's a great yeah. farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like him. He's my dad. I'm biased, but... Uh, so and then i went to the university of michigan and i got my undergrad degree in uh, science and while i was getting my degree this is in uh, the early 1980s the the only in the laboratory personal computers were just becoming available and we used them as lab tools but the only way you could get them to there was no software so the only way they would do anything is if you had to program it yourself yeah so like okay so i just learned how to do that and then i realized that a lot of businesses needed those kind of skills and capabilities very very early days of personal computers and um so i grew up with it and when i got out of the university of michigan i started a company a little store really a little computer store whoops uh, that dollar there came from a little computer store that i opened and um You know, we serviced Apple Macintosh computers and we wrote some software and that kind of stuff. And it was all really simple. And you stick with it long enough and you don't really notice the industry getting complicated Mm -hmm. because you're growing up with it effectively. Yes. And so by the late 1990s, uh, some partners and I in Ohio, we started an e-commerce company uh in the first dot com boom. What was what was
0: that? What was that business called?
1: This company called Submit Order. And Submit Order was designed to provide the the fulfillment for physical products in e-commerce. Now, and funny story, Amazon was still selling just books when Amazon started um they were only selling books that's all you could buy and my partners and i said wow you could sell anything on I mean, the. if you can sell a book you can sell anything yeah but who's going to put it in a warehouse who's going to pull it off the shelf who's going to put it in a box and hand it to the ups guy so we wrote a business plan to do that we probably had enough experience in that kind of business to be dangerous <laughs> but, but you know one of one of the one of the attributes of my i remember my partner and our ceo Rich and I were speaking, a company got very large. Um, Someone asked Rich at a conference we were speaking at, they they said, what do you think, what do you think the secret is to being a good entrepreneur? And before I could even answer, Rich said, ignorance. (laughs) And everyone, everyone laughed and they're like, what are you talking about? And he said, if I would have realized how complicated our business was, we never would have started it because it was just overwhelming. So we were ignorant to how much we needed to know, but we were we were passionate about the belief, and I've always remembered that. I think he's exactly right. And so you just you dive in and you get going and you grow with it. I don't know if I answered your questions or not, Michael. No, caught up in that.
0: No, it's helpful helpful to 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 know that background information for sure. Um, And so. Things are just getting started with with the the internet explosion around that time, right? We yeah. enter the dawn of the new millennium in in the 2000s. Things really start to take off. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that you that you uh, partnered with Apple and or serviced Apple products. Um, yeah. I was thinking that as you were speaking, um, I was wondering what some of your inspirations were um, in those earlier days. Did you look at people like Steve Jobs as being? You know some of some of the the mentors in in the space, or no,
1: no, because they weren't mythic yet. (laughs) Right? They were. uh, uh, Here's a here's a weird story. Uh, I never met Steve Jobs, Um, but I was still an undergrad in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, and we had a user group. So computer nerds used to hang around each other in these monthly meetings we called user group meetings, sort of meetups. Today we'd probably call it a meetup. Um, And I remember going to the Holiday Inn in Ann Arbor, Michigan for the monthly meetup. And there was some guy coming in to pitch his product for his software product for the Apple Macintosh. Uh, And it was Bill Gates. And so uh, let's see, I was I was twenty. I was probably 21 or maybe Mm -hmm. 22 years old. I think Gates is about 10 years older than me. So he might've been 30. He looked like he was 12. Mm -hmm. And uh, literally we hung out with Bill Gates for an hour while he pitched and told us why Microsoft products were so great. uh, So no, these guys weren't mythic. I mean, we looked at their businesses and we said, wow, these guys are really successful, but nowhere near the mythology that, that we have now. You also have to remember, Michael, that there was no, there was no internet. So we didn't have this instantaneous real time tidal wave of information. Uh, my, my primary sources of business information were magazines, yeah. uh, Fortune magazine, Forbes magazine, yeah. and um, Inc. magazine, I think was yep. the third one. So yep. once a month, you got your magazine dose and you read through all that stuff and, it was slow. It was really slow. We didn't even call ourselves entrepreneurs. Uh, that term wasn't used. So you were just a small business. And it was it was almost like you couldn't get a real job. Like my mom, she's like, can't you get a real job? I'm like, well, this is a real job. It wasn't cool. And I remember kind of in the late 90s, I looked up, sort of figuratively looked up, and I'm like, Wow everybody's calling themselves entrepreneurs and they think it's cool yeah I've been working all this time to try to not be two guys in a garage mm-hmm. so uh, there's definitely been a style change and I think it's for the better I love I love seeing this wave of ownership
0: yeah I think that if anything that that sentiment and that desire has been amplified a hundredfold even over the yeah. last like three years um, no doubt I mean universities teach it now yes. University is- of
1: Michigan University of Michigan has a great program uh, for entrepreneurship and I keep asking, I, I help out, I go speak sometimes, it's a great program. And I keep asking them, I'm like, I don't even know how you teach this. That's but- what I was gonna ask
0: you. <laughs> what you. What are your thoughts on like academic entrepreneurship classes or, or yeah certifications? I think
1: to me personally, I'm not an academic guy, so uh, apologies to my friends and academics who are all far smarter than I am. But to me, trying to teach entrepreneurship is about like having a course in how to fall in love. Um, It's like, well, you can describe certain aspects of it and you can outline behaviors that are more constructive and less constructive. Um, But ultimately, you got to go out and do it. and Your mileage is going to be your mileage will vary uh, for what other people are or experience, but I think when I look at the programs overall, um, they make sense. I mean, there are a lot of skills that they teach that I just sucked at uh, they, I, because no one taught me, you know, basic accounting or like one of your one of your guests uh, on your show, which is a super cool show, talked about mastering the numbers for your business and dude, that took me Years of just trial and error to figure that stuff out. So I think the universities do people a good service by teaching the skills. Yeah, uh, but that's not going to make you an entrepreneur. You just got to go out and you know get dirty with it and you know accumulate your worst stories.
0: It's it's very similar to you know to reading. Like you need to read to learn. Just like you 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 go to school to learn how to learn. But it's never going to replace the experience and the learnings of actually doing the thing.
1: Yeah, I think um, that's right.
0: And uh, just to, to draw a segue from that, I'm actually in the middle of the book called The Third Wave. It was written by Steve Case, who is the founder of AOL. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting the way that he describes kind of the transition that he's been through, which, which you sort of echoed of, um, those early days and how much has changed since then. And as we kind of make this transition from web two to web three, you know, the second wave to the so-called third wave, um, what what I'm seeing and would love your thoughts on on this as well, you know, is a really interesting transition from, I think one business model to, to a new one, or maybe just an evolution where it was like, you know, the last decade sort of create an app, create a great product um, or platform, build your audience on that platform as big and as high as you can. And then monetization happens as a result of that, or you figure out monetization as you, as you iterate. Um, But going forward, it's really going to be more about uh, partnerships as just having an app will sort of be table stakes. Um, uh, Those skills and those capabilities are pretty much going to be widely, widely mastered. Um, so, it's about what you do with it and the people and the networks that you're able to build. Um, what would you add onto that?
1: Um, I don't know if I can add. Uh, I haven't read the book. Steve Case is another one of those guys out of my generation that uh, yeah. AOL, uh, I probably had 500 CDs from AOL. Um, yeah. But A very successful guy. He's also doing some really novel investing in like second tier and third tier cities. So he's Mm -hmm. sort of democratizing where he's building companies. So props to him for that. Uh, What you just described, we term community building. Uh, We use the term community a lot at Codexitos, and it's the the principle, sort of the uh, foundational principle that we use to build communities. and i think it's right I, I think here's my take on the second wave and web, what's called web 2 and web 3. um web 2 was a revolution and a great idea that sort of went off the rails on us and so uh not to try to kick them while they're down but facebook now meta uh when facebook came out it was it was epic I mean like the earth moved. You could you could tell. I was one of those early adopters and you used to talk to people about it. And you'd say, Hey, are you on Facebook? And a lot of people were like, I don't know what that is. And then you'd tell them and they'd want to know why. But the the notion that if you and I were buddies and we wanted to stay in touch, that we had this rich platform to use, it it served a purpose. It was it was fantastic. My kids were in university. I, you know, we could stake together as a family. All that stuff was great. But it it's outstripped what I call human scale. Suddenly, I remember my daughter. She said, "Oh, I have a thousand friends on Facebook," and I'm like, "Honey, you don't. You don't have a thousand friends. Right. That's that's impossible." And so, what we saw with Web two was this centralization consolidated. A few of the big companies won right because facebook won and myspace died and so you had this concentration of billions of users and as people we don't have a thousand friends we don't have a billion i don't not that i'm uncaring but we don't care about i don't care about a billion people i don't care if facebook has one billion or two billion or five billion what i care about are my friends my colleagues people that watch your show that might want to ask me a question It's a very small community that I want to foster. And I think that's what Web3 is going to come back to saying, Hey, Michael, this is your community. Mm -hmm. If you want to monetize it, you can. That's a possibility. Um, But if you just want to nurture this community and be part of a community that enriches your life, people can do that, too, without all of the things that we're seeing in especially the social media world of you know censorship and deplatforming and all that other stuff. So I'm hopeful that Web3 brings us back to a human scale way that technology enables. Us to work.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm in agreement with that. And for me, being being sort of like a digital native, it has been really fascinating, almost like a a, a ride um, to go from those early days where I very vividly remember AOL and AIM coming home after school every day and. Um, logging into these platforms like they were an extension of our lives because to, to us as, as young kids at the time, they were. And I'm seeing the same thing with, with Snapchat and with Instagram um, and TikTok, you know, these Thanks. days with, with kids. Um, so, uh, you know, tech adoption and, and uh, uh, addiction, I think, is a, uh, an interesting um, topic. I don't want to dive into that, but. Well,
1: I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint here. I'm, I'm going to, I can't tell you about it, but we've been working on a product that's going to be released in the next couple months that addresses this exactly. So if you want to do a deep dive on it, let me know and uh, yeah. uh, I'll give you some behind the scenes stuff, but we're going to launch this product. We're building it. It's super cool. And it, it's, I think you'll eat it up. I'd love to talk to
0: you about it. Give, give us just like a, a one minute like hint or like a high level
1: overview. Yep. Uh, you can build your own personal social network completely autonomously without a centralized platform and you own it. You won't get creeped on by ads. Nobody's going to try to monetize you or your user base. You can monetize your user base if you want, but that's entirely up to you. Yeah, uh, And it's it's all of the benefits of kind of the early promise of Facebook where you and your friends could stay together and hang out and talk or your family or your church group or your school or whatever um with none of the heavy centralization it's it's a web3 based app it's fully decentralized so you control your community and your community self-governs and it's super
0: super cool so something similar to like what a next door might enable for our communities yeah a little bit but bit. that allows everyone to create their own. Exactly right. Cool. Cool. We'll keep on the lookout for that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I did want to ask you as well about kind of a, another aspect of the rise of Web 2. And we'll see how it plays out going into Web 3. But, you know, with exitos, you work specifically with uh, near shore developers um, with your team in in. Central America or Latin America. um, I wanted to ask you about this phenomena of outsourcing and um, sort of what you see as the next frontier for development specifically on a global level um, with the rise of entrepreneurship, specifically domestically, and how those two worlds will play together going forward.
1: Yeah okay um well i think when i when i look at problem sets and problems and opportunities are kind of interchangeable i ask myself one of the one of the important questions i try to ask myself is what what is unchangeable in this picture like what's never going to be able to be changed mm-hmm. And there are degrees of that, like some things are never going to change. And then some things are just huge effort to change them. And some things are just, just have to get off your butt and change it. Here's what's not going to change. Uh, The world is not going to shrink down into a single time zone. It still takes a long time to travel all the way around the world. And so uh, that's not going to change. Put a pin in that for a second. What we're learning that is changing is there are smart people everywhere. We say there are brilliant minds everywhere in the world. So now the question is, how do we connect those brilliant minds into a community that can build, you know, build your product? What's the model of master's product that you want to build and how do you put a team together to do that?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, with technology, just like we're using now, it's not terribly important that I'm sitting next to you. You're in Las Vegas, you're still doing your business. You know, you're uh, kind of a workcation, that's what I would call it. Um, I'm here in Central America right now, talking to you, no biggie, all right? So that's great. But if I was in Australia right now, it'd be, we'd have a 12 hour time difference. One of us would be asleep, one of us would be, and if you wanted to come and visit me, it would be a really hard, expensive, long journey for you to do that. That's not anyone's fault. It's not the fault of someone in Australia or India or Vietnam. I've been to all those places. It's just the fact of the world's the shape that it and is. We're not going to change it. So uh, CodeXitos is all about focusing on the Americas, not because I don't know there's more of the world or I dislike people in uh, other parts of the world. I've been all over the world, but the reality is it, Michael, if you wanted to fly down and, uh, visit with me, it's a two or three hour flight from, it's about a three hour flight from where you are right now, maybe right. four, uh, I'm in the same time zone as you are. It's just easy. Right. And ultimately for entrepreneurs, when you're building a company and you're building a product to go with that company, uh, collaboration is fundamental. I mean, you just have to be able to like, Hey, Michael, I've got an idea. What do you think about this? Nah, I don't like fair. it, Charles. Do something else. Boom, done. Conversation over. Um, and so what we're trying to do is take the best of technology and the realization that the physical world isn't going to change its shape or time zones just because we wish it would, and right. blend those all together to where we have brilliant people collaborating in really cool ways.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. So and, and say- there'll be more of there'll be more of it fair to say that global geographically dispersed teams are only going to expand and continue to become more, um, more that way.
1: Yeah, and I think your generation's gonna have a lot of really cool improvements on what we're just now starting to figure out mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited about the next so we have a, a mission at Codexytos that the company lasts a hundred years and that's kind of a mind bending thing when you sort of you, you get past the the marketing slickness of it and you start to think about it I'm like well wait a minute I'm not going to be around and and I tell the company this I'm like look around the room guys so let's, let's say you're 30 years old and you work here you're not going to be here a hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. So the people that are going to be in Code hundred years from now, we don't even know them. None of us yeah. know them. Yeah. And and when you start to think about like, what do I have to do to be a good steward of the future? <laughs> uh, what what do I have to? What can I do today that makes the next hundred years higher probability of success? Uh, it leads to some pretty uh, mind bending thinking, but. But the point I was gonna make is that we're just getting started and I think that you and a lot of other younger entrepreneurs are gonna have some wildly innovative things that happen and you're not gonna you're not gonna be thinking about things like borders and, you know, who's near shore or offshore or whatever. Uh, those distinctions will go away
0: 100 percent. yeah it'll be like second nature or something we don't even consider to be you know a factor necessarily in deciding how we work or who we work with because we're we're just used to it
1: i think it's exactly right and like i said we're we're making we're kind of heading in the right direction i think there are a lot of good encouraging signs but uh you know the only thing about the future 100 years in the future that i regret is that i won't get to see some of it so
0: Mm -hmm. uh, but you're laying that you're laying the, a great foundation. So I hope, I hope so doing what we can. Um, that leads me kind of into the, the the final topic here that I do want to uh, dive into huh? with you, which is around modern product development. And so, you know, I, I, I'm someone who I think of myself as a creative inventor um, and always coming up with different ideas, you know, always trying to be innovative with, you know, The things that I'm putting out there and doing so in a different way, which is uh, something that is, I think, important for any creator today is is a focus on differentiation and creativity, as well as like utility and um, creating something that has actual application for people's lives. Um, What types of products are you seeing come to the forefront as things that have real real promise or real value that uh, excite you or, you know, uh, inspire you for what the future looks like.
1: I like, I like the type of product that I used this term a little while ago in our conversation, but things that are human scale. Um, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by products. That are designed for people to use in communities and small groups. You know, it's not this billions and billions kind of thing anymore. Uh, I'm also encouraged by products that are thoughtful in the way that they either uh, they're repairable, they're recyclable, they they conserve the environment and resources in some way. Uh, I think those are. I think we need more of that for sure. Um, you know, as there's no point in making our planet small and livable from a technology ease standpoint, if it's, if it, it becomes a toxic dump and we all die off because we kill ourselves. So, you know, we have to get, we have to get more serious about sustainability. Um, So I I would say that, I would say that the web two era that that you talked about, I'm gonna have to get that book and check it out. I hope that part of what Web three is all about is more of a hundred year perspective, and I, so I like I like products that are thoughtful in that way. They're not disposable. Um, they make people's human lives better. They don't exist for just a pure, blatant commercial purpose. Uh, yeah. You know, let's let's leave that back in the twentieth century and uh, getting to something. Uh, so that's what I like. They answer your question.
0: Yeah, definitely agree with that. I'm seeing so many great ideas out there that. When I see them it's like duh that that should have been created already and um <laughs> right, right. more often than not there are things that have practical usability to make lives better or to make the planet better um
1: but there's still a lot of there's still a lot of crap being done too i mean you can you can i mean uh, they they can always find me and yell at me if they want but all you have to do is walk into walmart and look around at thousands of square feet of crap that's just made okay. to, extract money from people for stuff they don't need that's going to end up in a trash heap and i'm like we got to stop doing that and especially in especially in the united states we just have to stop doing that we have to stop being consumer focused and start being we can still spend money and enjoy our lives and there's nothing wrong with that um but it can't be disposable so
0: um, one last question i want to i want to pick your brain on and going back to something you alluded to with the project you're currently working on right now, um, to create sort of like a, an open open source uh, platform for people to create their own their own apps, their own companies. Um, right. Somebody has a great idea, right, and they want to they want to act on it, and they want to integrate software or technology, or maybe it's a a software based idea that they have, but they're not skilled in development or they don't know what the first step is and I definitely would fall into that category. I have some ideas, but uh, part of where I'm stuck is I don't necessarily have the skill set to start creating like an MVP or, or coding or anything like that. How can people get started with this sort of next wave of things? Yeah, great question. Uh, we're seeing a
1: lot of that. A, a growing proportion of our client base are uh, made up of people that we call non-technical founders. Yes. So, 25 years ago, uh, the, the, there was a joke about this. It used, the joke went like this. What do you call two unemployed software engineers? A startup. And, and because these, you know, two typically guys back at that time, thank God there are more women in the industry now. We need more yet. But typically two guys, they were software engineers and they have an idea, so they coded themselves, you know, or they get some of their buddies to help. And so it was sort of nerd, the nerd parade kind of thing. Bill Gates is a perfect example of that. And now we see people like you're describing that are non-technical founders. They're creative, very, very creative. They see business problems. They have creative ideas to solve. Them. Now they need a they need a team to, to execute. Um, we actually have a white paper, sort of an ebook uh, called, it's targeted to non-technical founders. I can send you the link. You can, you can post it out for your audience if you like. Um, but, and that's what Code is really set up to do. So, they're, are, there are, it's kind of a long discussion about a practical approaches to that. But I would say that the real value that an entrepreneur, technical or otherwise, bring isn't a particular skill set like, oh, I know how to code in JavaScript. I'll write this to myself. Um, the real thing we need from our clients, who are all founders, the thing we need most from them. Is their vision and their passion. Um, you can always find somebody to do the build work, but you can't you can't substitute for the passion and the vision. And so, when you talk about those ideas where you see them and you're like, "Duh, that's obvious." It wasn't obvious until someone did it, right? And that's that's what entrepreneurs should cling to. And I can help them. Other people can help them. We can give them lots of the internets out there to help them find people who can execute the tactical work to get that vision realized, to get that first MVP out or whatever. But vision's everything. It's everything from the founder.
0: And just to conclude here, uh, Charles, is there any overarching takeaway or final, final uh, piece of insight that you want to leave people with in just a couple of sentences. If you want to be
1: a successful entrepreneur, you have to be driven by an unrelenting passion to make your vision become real because you're going to get the crap knocked out of you. You're going to fail. You're going to have setbacks, but you have to persist. And if you just want to do it for money or you just want to do it for an award, you're not gonna be successful because the first time you get punched in the nose, you're gonna say, that hurt, I quit. Um, but all of my friends that are successful entrepreneurs have been driven by passion. So they get punched in the nose and they go, wow, that hurt a lot, um, but I'm still gonna do what I'm doing. And they go right back at it. So yeah, um, it, it passion's everything, passion love, is everything.
0: Love it, love it. And uh, where can people go to connect with you and to learn more about what you guys are, are working on?
1: Yeah. Codexytos.com um, is the website. Uh, our contact information's out there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you find me on LinkedIn and you connect, just tell me in the message connection that, you know, you saw the show or you listened to the show and you want to connect. Um, I, you know, random unknown LinkedIn connections are getting a little tough to keep up with these days. Uh, but I would say either LinkedIn for me, uh, the company Code Exitosis and all the social media channels, so you can find us out there. Awesome, um, and we'd love to. Hey, the conversation's free. Getting to know people and and hearing about ideas, we love it. We spend all of our time with entrepreneurs and innovators. So if you're in that community, we want to be helpful.
0: Perfect, Charles Fry. Thank you so much for joining me on Models of Masters.
1: Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Hey guys, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to rate, review, comment, and share. Everything helps. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share, all the things, and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you, and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.